in Genesis 32, so if you have your Bible, follow along. Uh, we'll start in 32, uh, verse 22. Then we're going to jump over to 35 after that. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Jumping over to 35. Verse 1 to 15. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to, up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I go. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they sent out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Alon Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. So I want you to imagine, just as we begin today, that um, this circle, actually really hard to draw a circle freehand. Um, It's an oval 
This oval, thank you, Moira. This oval is you. Okay, this is your life. And there's a stick figure of you in the oval. And I want you to imagine that this is a, this is all of you. So every part of this circle or oval is a different part of you. You know, your job, your family, ambitions, what you do online, where you spend your money, uh, Christianity, education, uh, ambitions, dreams, relationships, self-esteem, your possessions. This is everything about you, right? It's just a different part of this circle. Okay? Think over your life and then I want you to ask yourself, out of all the parts of my life, um, is there anything in that circle that God does not have access to? Any part of this circle in which you actually don't want God to have or be a part of? Which part of your life, your heart, your week, that you don't want God to know or see or care about? You see, God's interested in all of your life, not to be a meanie and get in the way, uh, though you have to realize that, of course, God's vision and your vision for life are often not the same, and so it is confronting, but ultimately, it's to bring about his blessing to us. And when I say blessing, I'm using the same definition as last week. That is, a blessed life is walking with God, like it was in the Garden of Eden, with his vision, his future hope. God doesn't equate blessing with material possessions, your bank account, a job satisfaction or ease of life. That does not mean you've got a blessed life. In the biblical story, blessing is more about understanding what it means to walk with God and to have God walk with us. And as we walk with God, he walks into all of our life and walks with us in all of life, in all those different parts, helping us mature into the image of God. And that's what a blessed life is. By God's kindness and grace, he helps to remove the sinful, sharp, pointy bits of us. I remember many years ago when I was a Christian, I got saved at 14, I think, and God worked on me at different times and in various ways, showing me what my life was like and how his grace came and was applied in different ways to challenge different parts of my thinking and actions and attitudes. To help me become more like the image of God, Jesus, who I've been redeemed into. That is, Jesus is interested in redeeming all of my life. What about you? Any pockets of your life that you haven't yet considered God to be part of? Now, as we come to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, today, we will see that his life is a slow burn of God outworking his grace and kindness, helping Jacob go from knowing about God to actually knowing God. As God moves in Jacob's life, so his life comes under God's loving rule and care. Jacob has lots of X's in these boxes. And from Genesis 27 to where we are today and even beyond a bit more, slowly the X's become crosses or ticks, I mean. You know what I mean? As God's authority outworks more of his life. And even when we get to Joseph in two weeks, you'll see Jacob still has crosses everywhere. But they're getting less. And in our passage today, stubborn, tricky, deceptive Jacob, um, in Genesis 32, 32, here we are, we see that Jacob is brought to the end of himself. It's the end of Jacob in Genesis 32. Oh, uh, Jacob, there you go. The end of Jacob. 
You have to know how to spell, and I can't. But last week, okay. Last week, we left um, Isaac, Jacob's dad, blessing him, not Esau. Esau's the older one. The older one should get the blessing. That's how it worked. God says, Jacob will get the blessing. Jacob's the younger. And then in Genesis 27, verse 41, Esau, the older brother, we ended with these words. And if you remember, it was a powerfully horrible thing to say to your family members. I will kill you. Exclamation mark. That's how they left. And then from there to today, um, it was just another moment, I should say, and the two brothers never getting along. From, from birth, from the womb, there was tension, they fought. Esau came out first, but Jacob was holding his heel, his brother's ankle, in a close second. And that's why he got the name Jacob. Jacob means heel grabber or trickster. Like you, you trip someone up, you grab their heel and they fall. You walk behind someone and kick their foot and their foot goes up. And this is, that's the picture, that's what Jacob means. And that's how Jacob lived his whole life. Jacob is more like, in the biblical story, he's more like the serpent in the garden, deceiving, lying, tricking, than someone who is meant to extend the blessing of God to others. And so from, I will kill you, said Esau, to today, Jacob's mum, Rebecca, realises the brothers are fighting. So being the interesting mum she is, we've learnt, um, she said, I don't know, I'll send one of my sons away to live with my uncle to stop them trying to kill each other. So she sent Jacob, Genesis 27, 43 uh, to 45, Jacob goes to live with Laban. So Jacob is now sent away from home. And just stay there until Esau's anger calms down. Jacob, um, Rebecca forgets about him, and he's there for 20 years. And then for 20 years, God's out working in Jacob's life, like God does with you and me, all these incredible things. So Jacob leaves home and he's single. 20 years later, he, he returns home because God doesn't forget Jacob and says it's time to go home. And now he has 11 sons, one in the oven, lots of possessions, and he's very, very rich. Big change in Jacob over 20 years. Think back to 20 years for your life. 2003. What were you doing? But he's missing the one thing wealth can't buy at this point. Jacob has never understood what it means to be one of God's people of the promise. So at the start of Genesis 32, our chapter today, he decides to send Esau notice he's coming. I should tell my brother I'm coming back. The trouble is, Jacob is petrified of Esau. 20 years ago, I will kill my brother. He runs away and he's still terrified of his brother. So in verse 5, he sends messengers to go and appeal and find out what his brother's doing, right? Is my brother amicable? Is he grumpy? Is he upset? So in verse 5 of Genesis 32, brother, he sends messengers, hey, Jacob's coming. The messengers come back and in verse 6 and 7, <laughs> they say, oh yeah, Esau, he, he's coming to see you. But so are 400 other men. It's 32 verse 6, I think. Now this, this is not a... This just petrifies Jacob even more because this is an army. Now, my brother's coming out with 400 big boys to come and fight me. I've only got 11, 12 family members and, and a few people that kind of work for me and possess. Like, I, uh, Jacob sees fear and distress. Except if you read ahead to Genesis 32, Esau doesn't want to actually kill him. But he doesn't know that yet. 
sit, sit with the fear for a few moments. So with matters out of Jacob's control, remember he spent his whole life tricking, deceiving, lying. Finally, he's motivated to use all of his clever mind for something half useful. He divides his family up into two groups. He's figuring if, well, if, if one of them gets attacked, I'll have half my staff and family left and I'll be able to kind of escape and go the other way. But more importantly, something we've never seen in Jacob's life, and if you've read Genesis 27 to today, something's never happened, finally happens in the pressure cooker moment when you start to come undone at the end of yourself. And it happens in 32 verse 9. And it's so important, Jacob prays. 32 verse 9. He finally prays. His prayer shows two things. He finally understands what it means to be one of God's people of the promise. Listen to what he says in verse 9 and 10. Then Jacob prayed, Oh God, my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives. I'll make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this river, but now I have become two camps. He's finally getting God has been blessing him and he's not worthy of it his whole life. It takes a broken, humble person to admit God's kindness has been shown to them despite themselves. And in the process of turning to God, he now faces the worst conflict of his life, a death sentence from his brother. Look at verse 10 to 12. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you've said, I'll make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. If Esau wipes out Jacob, he's afraid Jacob can't be the blessing God has promised. He's a man in the middle of a crisis in life. And as I'm sure many of you have done, when life spins out of control, you pray to God, you turn to God in those moments. And just like Jacob found, some of you have found that life just got harder when you turn to God. His past finally catches up with him. His usual methods of, methods of trickery and deception, they're not going to work. He's tortured in his mind, anticipating Esau and 400 men. He's prayed, he's divided his camp. He is so anxious, he's so at the end of himself. And, in verse 21, he's alone. Night comes, darkness descends, and the mood outside echoes exactly Jacob's heart and mind at this moment. If your stomach does not have a knot when you read this, you need to feel that knot. The Bible should be felt as we read it. And we should be going, what? Don't read it knowing the end yet. Just sit in it. Sweat as you read this and go, oh, Jesus. men. Angry brother. Family conflict. You know what that's like. 20 years. And then God shows up in one of the strangest, most bizarre, famous parts of the entire Bible in this stomach-churning tension moment. Look at, look at in verse 43, uh, 43? 30, 30, 24. 24 to 32, God wrestles uh, Jacob. And it's so strange. Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go, it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It's so weird. 
a wrestling match with a man, a demand for a blessing, being hit so hard in the groin, your hip pops out for the rest of your life, you walk with a limp. So, you have to know Jacob's in a scared, lonely place. And a man, a very, very strong man, suddenly appears and wrestles with him all night and then jumps to the morning. There are no details of the night's tussle, they're just locked in a battle. And then Jacob, we learn, is very strong, actually. Because the man says, you need to let me go. And Jacob's physical strength reflects his heart and his mind. He's a stubborn, strong, immovable object, Jacob. But it turns out Jacob's facing an irresistible force, and that's God himself. Because it says the man touches Jacob's hip. Just, there's Jacob, and oh, on the hip, just touch. And that's a really um, weak way to describe what he did. He dislodges his hip from the socket with his strength and Jacob is now wounded for the rest of it. If you, if you know, if you're a medical person, you know hips and how, like, try to dislodge a hip. It's a lot of strength. Older translations say he was hit in the hollow of his thigh. This is the same place we get the word loin from or hip, that whole area of the body. Just think, just think. This is the part of the body where Jacob can make his own blessing, literally, to be a nation. And he's done it 11 times, 12 times, because the bun in the oven at the moment for his family. And remember, we're looking at the promise and the blessing of the garden coming to Abraham and being passed on to his descendants. And one of those promises is that you will be a great nation. And to be a great nation, you need kids. And just as God opens the wombs of Sarah and Rebecca who can't have kids, God does the opposite here with Jacob to make sure, to make the same point, I mean. And what's the point? I'll take care of making sure my blessing happens. And this wrestling dislodges Jacob's own idea that he can be the blessing. But even after getting totally thumped, Jacob doesn't let go. He's a stubborn guy. Man says, let me go. I've already touched you and you've got a bung hip now. But then the divine voice and the divine touch cause Jacob to realize something. This is the angel of the Lord. Not just an angel, but in the Old Testament, every now and then the angel of God appears. But we get a glimpse that it might not be an angel. Like it's just too God-like to be a created being. This is a, a pre-incarnate Jesus, right? Second member of the Trinity before the, before the birth of Jesus. Shows up just for a moment. And this is one of those times. And Jacob's reply clues us in because he says in verse 32, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now remember, apart from his father Isaac, the only other possible person in the world who could bless him would be God himself. And while Jacob's done a lot over 20 years, he needs to learn that salvation and blessing only come from the Lord, and he can only learn that when he gets to the end of himself. But if that's not weird enough, they then decide to have a conversation about names. The man said, what's your name? Verse 27. Jacob. Not anymore. You'll be now called Israel because you struggle with God and humans and have overcome. That is the moment when Jacob becomes undone. This is not a, hi, I'm Luke, conversation. This is a, I'm broken, hurting, with gritted teeth. Jacob, who I am. And in asking for his name, Jacob admits who he is. He is the trickster. He is the deceiver. And he's admitting it before God. God changes and then blesses him. And often God changes people's names in the biblical story when he confronts them. And it's all to do with identity. 
No longer will, be Jacob, will Jacob be defined as a trickster deceiver who grabs the heel. Now you will be defined as Israel. I'm going to put that up here. Which means struggles with God and man. You just say struggles with God. Because he has. His whole life is in a wrestling match. And the sun rises and a new Jacob rises too. And every step he takes, he'll limp. And every time he thinks of himself or gives his name, he'll remember God's blessing and that God is a strong one, not him. He's going to walk with a limp, but he's a better man for it. This is a man, a story of a man struggling to rely on either God's agenda or his own plan. It's a story of a man who's worked so hard to be self-autonomous and be the blessing. And God in his kindness has wanted to bless him all along. And he finally gets it. But, in Genesis 35, we realize that this whole blessing thing, the maturity thing, doesn't happen overnight. So in, in Genesis 35, I'll do it here, there you go. In chapter 35, there's another part of Jacob's story we have to see. This is the new perspective that God gives him for the rest of his life. And it begins with God telling Jacob to go and live at a place called Bethel and make an altar. Now, 20 years before that, God showed up to him at Bethel. He's going to go back to the same place. But look at how he walks into his past because of God's grace that came to him in the future. So Jacob said to his household, Get rid of the foreign gods you have. Purify yourselves. Change your clothes. Let us go to Bethel where I'll build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. And they gave Jacob all the foreign gods and all the earrings and hid them under the oak tree. The day of distress is when he wrestled with God. And he reflects on how in all things, 20 years, God has been with him wherever he went. And finally, finally, he's realized that I need to order my life under God instead of trying to be God. Order life under God. That's the big realization he has in chapter 35. You see, in three things, he removes the foreign gods. He's now aligned to the God of his family. He's been covenantal, covenantly faithful to God, monotheistic. You know, just, just that's my only God, right? That's Yahweh God. And they change their clothes to get rid of, to get rid of the oldness of how they were living. They're living now clean and differently, symbolizing the new clothes. And then there he builds an altar to worship and honor the God who answered and rescued him. And then in verse 10, God repeats himself because Jacob can finally hear. You know, the Christian life is not so much new things, but just old things you've heard that you can finally hear. Well, this is Jacob in verse 10. God renews the covenant promise to Abraham and Isaac and applies it to Jacob. But in verse 11, he adds a new part to it. He doesn't just say you'll be a nation that come from you. He says a community of nations. Community of nations. You'll be the father of a nation and a community of nations will come from you. Remember how God hit him in the hip? It's the reminder that God will make a nation from him and a community too in his way. Now later on in Matthew 8, Jesus picks up on this exact thought and says God's blessing is bigger than one family. That you here today and me, we're, we're invited to align our life to the God who can be relied on as Jacob learnt. We are the community of nations that this speaks of. All nations, all people, welcome to come to Jesus. Not because the family of Abraham had it together, <laughs> they don't, but because their covenantal keeping God is faithful and good on his word. You, you can know a God who's faithful when you're not. 
You know, in a way, Genesis 32, 35 is a picture of Jacob being wounded for his own sin, but blessed on the other side. And one day, someone will come from this family who is a child of the promise, who would also be wounded, but not for his tricky, stubborn ways or lack of faith. He will be wounded for the sins of others, for all the nations, spoken of in verse 11, so that they will become the community of the redeemed people. God would not strike his people, he would strike his son. Jesus would wrestle for the lives of his people on the cross to bring about the blessing of walking with God. And it wasn't just a touch like a hip, it was a touch of death. To forgive us, to soften our hearts, so that pride and deceptiveness, stubbornness, self-righteousness could be done away with, so that we can order our life under God, as Jacob found it. There is no square centimetre of your life that Jesus hasn't redeemed or walks into or isn't strong enough to wrestle with and overcome by his grace. Romans 5 verse 8 is the verse you need to know. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Still. The wounds that define us come from Jesus. God is most interested in giving us himself so we can let go of the things that get in the way. Of helping us see that no part of our life is worth keeping for ourselves, that it's when it's time to throw away or redeem the bits and pieces of our life, like Jacob did with the idols in his house, to put on a new nature, when however long that takes, you can find out like Jacob did, that God's already there on the other side waiting for you, meeting you, walking there with you, and he's already been working for 20 years prior to that moment to bring us to the point of humble dependence and maturity. Therefore, end where we started. Your life is a circle. May you humble yourself before the cross of Jesus today. May you yield to his grace, his forgiveness. Let that wash over you. And may you order your life under your faithful, strong God. And just let go. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are the strong one. And that often, Father, as Jacob found, we wrestle and we try to be God in our life. Yet, we actually find that you're there. And the joy and the grace, the forgiveness, the hope we want comes by submitting our life to you. Help us do that for the joy of knowing you, for the grace and forgiveness you meet us with. Thank you that the promised one did come from this family, that despite themselves you work to bring us Jesus, and despite our life and ups and downs you work so we can know you, follow you, have the hope of you, because knowing you is the blessed life. In Jesus' name, amen.